This week's Torah portion, Parshat Tasso, includes the, the blessing that we, like many Messianic congregations, close our services with the Aaronic benediction or the priestly prayer, the Yivarechecha. And we're going to make that our primary text, but in order to, uh, to begin, I would like you to, uh, to pay attention to what God said to Avram when he called him. It's, it's recorded in Genesis, Bereshit, chapter 12. The Lord said to Avram, get out of your country, lech lecha, from your family and from your father's house. There is a time when you have to get up and you have to get out. And if you join yourself to Abraham, whether you are uh, a natural-born Jew, is there such a thing, a natural-born Jew? Someone who, who was born into a Jewish family or whether you have joined yourself to the Jewish people? Once you identify yourself as a son or a daughter of Abraham and you commit yourself to serving the God of Israel and the people of Israel, the Jewish people, then, then the destiny that you take on is joined up with the destiny of Abraham and the call of Abraham. The demands that, that Avram faced will be placed on your lives and the experiences of the patriarchs and the children of Israel will be repeated into your lives in a number of different ways. It, it may be that God at some point will call you to get up and to get out of what country you were in. Some of you are, are immigrants to America, and so you have some experience in this. But I can tell you this, every one of us will have an experience where we're going to have to get ourselves out of something. Not out of trouble, but out of, out of our own history and our own natural destiny, and no one will do it for us. God said to Avram, Lech Lecha, get yourself up and get yourself out. It was a command God gave that he poured out grace and he poured out favor. He poured out uh, resources on Avram, but Avram had to do it himself. And there will be times, I can assure you of this, when you will have to make choices that will cause you to be separate from uh, your country of origin or your family or from your father's house. It's not that you will deny your heritage or your past, you will build upon it, but you will not be limited by it nor trapped in it. You will have a destiny, having joined yourself with Avram and the God of Abraham, you will have a destiny that's greater than what your family of origin would have given you. And this is true whether you're Jewish or not Jewish. If, if you're Jewish, you will find yourself in choosing Yeshua, you will find yourself, in a sense, outside the camp at some point in your life. In that place where you are with the Jewish people, but the Jewish people may struggle about you. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing that you can do to avoid that. That is part of our life. There are moments when, when you will just have to keep going. And I would just say to you, don't worry about it. That is not the definition of who you are. The rejections you face, the difficulties you face as God forms his identity in you and as he reveals his calling to you, those things are much more important than the struggles you face at the human level. And so it's not, we, we learn something from Abraham. He didn't just sit around and say, but what is this going to mean to me? I can't do this. I don't want to. His heart was open to God, and so God commanded him. And when your heart is open to God, God will command you to do 
things that never occurred to you, things that you had not imagined nor you had not planned. It will redefine how you think of prayer when you understand this because you'll no longer be asking God to do your will. You'll be responding to his commands to you to do his will. Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I can assure you of this, not all of us are going to become a great nation. But everyone who has joined ourselves to the God of Israel is joined to a great nation because Israel is a great nation. Whether its size is great or not is unimportant. Before God, the Jewish people are great. And so you join yourself to a great nation. And God says, I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. You shall be a blessing. Now that, that statement, you shall be a blessing, is not merely a statement about the future. It's not a prediction. It's not a forecast. It is more of a command. It's, it, it conveys this idea, you be a blessing. In other words, you and I, by joining ourselves to God and God's people, are commanded to be a blessing in the direction of others. And God says that there is a reciprocity to this. I will bless those who bless you. You see, when you take it upon yourself to be a blessing to other people, then God will bless you and them as well. They'll be blessed for blessing you. And they'll be cursed for cursing you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's what God said to Abraham. But maybe it's better to say in English, in you all the families of earth will learn to bless themselves. You see, they'll learn to be in right relationship in order to receive blessings from God. Now, if your only motivation to bless another person is to get blessed, you know what? You're not really fulfilling what God is speaking about here. There is a desire to fulfill the heart of the Lord, to be an expression of his heart towards people. If you have that desire, then you give like direct service to people, whether they're going to pay you back well or not, whether they're going to appreciate you, whether they're going to like you, whether they're going to thank you or not. Have you ever served someone who didn't even thank you? And do you remember wondering why they didn't thank you? Some of us do, and some of us say, well, they weren't even thankful, I'm not going to serve them again. And that simply means we've decided we're going to limit ourselves to serving the grateful. Now, it's better to be grateful than ungrateful, but when it comes to serving, sometimes we do need to serve the ungrateful. We need to serve the unwilling. We even, Yeshua said, need to serve our enemies, to bless them. You see, you can take, you can take many postures in life, but it's powerful when you decide to bless people whether they like you or not. Peter, Kepha, as an apostle writing to Messianic Jews, said that there will be people who will see the good works that you do because of your service to God. And it will cause their hearts to turn. And instead of speaking against you, they will start praising God. Now, it's very interesting. Some people don't realize that what they really want is to receive the praise themselves rather than God receiving the praise. Peter says it the way it is. If you are doing acts of kindness and mercy towards others, they'll praise God. They may not praise you. 
They may not even thank you. They may not even recognize you, but they may stop being an enemy and they may become a friend. It's possible. So this is, this is the originating call upon Abraham, which he then fulfilled. He responded to with all of his heart and he did as he was commanded to do. And he is our spiritual father. Because of that, you and I are joined to him. And so it helps us understand something. We're called to live a life of blessing. Not just to be blessed, but to bless others. But in order to bless others, you do need to be blessed. And where are we going to get our blessings from? This is the question. With that in mind, I want you to turn to this week's reading from Numbers from Midbar, chapter 6, starting in verse 22. And I bring, this, I bring this to our attention because so often we, we hear these words, but they can become over-familiar to us and we may not understand the depth and the importance that, that these words actually carry. As well, I believe it's time to renew blessings in our lives. Many of us have a need for restoration. We have a need for renovation. At the very least, we've got to maintain. And, and by maintain, I don't mean just stay at the same level. I mean, you got to, like with your car, you change the oil so it'll keep going. We need to keep going. We need perhaps to do certain things that will keep blessings fresh and alive. There's so much difficulty, so much heartache, so much discouragement, so much trouble in this world and in this time that we really need to know how we're going to go about renewing and restoring the blessings of God in our lives. Some people will tell you there are keys. For instance, if you'll give more money, then you'll get more money. I'm not here to tell you that. I'm here to tell you this. If you draw close to God, he'll draw close to you. If you seek him with all of your heart, you will find him. Let's read from number six. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Now, remember, we just heard this in English. And so that is not what God said, because he wasn't speaking English. He was speaking Hebrew, right, Etty? He was speaking Hebrew, and the actual prayer wasn't in English. Now, I do believe there's power when you translate Hebrew into other languages, but there's, there's even great power in the language itself. And that's why it's the Jewish custom to use the Hebrew and not just whatever the local language is. So this is the way that you shall bless the children of Israel. You say to them, Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmerecha, Ye'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha, Yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. You say this to them, they'll get blessed. You say this, and you'll put my name, the Lord says, upon the children of Israel, and then I will bless them. And so you bless them, and the Lord says, I'll bless them. It's an interesting thing. If you, if you can grasp this, you have the power to bless because you are delegated that authority from God. 
It's not something that is naturally yours. It's something that is given to you by God. You see, God wants people who live with him to to be blessed by him. And so he will use others to initiate what's necessary for that blessing to come upon. And this is a covenantal blessing. When it says, I'll put my name on them, it... You know, men, when you, when you take a wife, you put your name on her, right? This is my beloved Sandy Levine. I put my name, Levine, on her. She's now part of my family, right? The Lord says, I'm going to put my name on you, meaning I'm going to give you my name. You're, gonna, you're going to belong to me. You're going to become part of my family. And he, this is a covenantal relationship, like marriage, like family. It's not something you enter into lightly. It's not something that you observe lightly. It is a wholehearted and whole life commitment. It defines who you are and what you're all about. When you know the good things that your family has received from the Lord and you walk in those things, you'll be blessed. The Lord is saying to, to Israel, I want you to be my family. I want to put my name on you. And says to Aaron, you bless this way and I will bless. And this is very useful for, for men, for women, for, for parents, for spouses. Women, you have the ability to bless your children. If you bless them, you know what? God will bless them. Fathers, you have the ability to bless your children. If you speak blessings, if you perform blessings uh, for them and speak the blessings of God over them, then God will bless them. It's not because you're so great. It's not because we're so good. It is because he's so good. He's asking you and me to express his goodness by blessing others. Now, you can tell the difference between uh, an adult who received their parents' blessing and one who didn't. The, the one who was told they're good for nothing, the one who was told that they're always going to do poorly, the one who was belittled by their parents was cursed rather than blessed. But the one who knows that they can, they can stick to it, the one who knows that good things are worth fighting for and enduring for and paying for, the ones who have received a blessing of love and and even the blessing of discipline, those people grow up and they have a stability in their lives that enables them to bless yet more people. So God wants to bless you, and he wants to bless others through you. Now I want to go through this theme of, of the Yivarechecha and focus on some specific things. I want to start really with the, the end of the blessing where it says, the Lord give you peace, because I think it, it may be better not to think of peace as something that's just given to you. It's not here speaking of a, of a gift. It's speaking more that you would be established in peace, that you would be settled in peace. You know, peace can be fleeting if it's not solid. If it's, if it's just in your mind, the absence of conflict is insufficient. The, the peace that God has in mind the shalom that he has in mind is the presence of many good things. It can include such things as healing. 
It can include right relationships. It can include prosperity. It's spiritual, it's physical, it's comprehensive. It touches every part of a person. And so God doesn't just want to give you peace temporarily. He wants to establish you in peace. And so it's important to say, yes, Lord, I want to be established in peace. So I can ask you this question. Do you want to be established in peace? Would you prefer to have like the ups and downs? I would like a roller coaster in life. It's so exciting. Don't you think? Some of us like adrenaline more than others. I'm not big on adrenaline. I, my drug of choice is caffeine. But for others, it's adrenaline. And some people think that the most exciting way to live life is when it's unpredictable, when it's absolutely unclear what is next and when the ups and the downs are going to like follow one another very carefully i know some people who get nervous when things are good you may have met such people some people are even afraid to tell another person that a good thing has happened or is about to happen They even like knock on wood and they do, you know, funny things. They're afraid if they verbalize what just happened that's good, it's going to disappear or dissipate. Or they're afraid if they heard good news before it's fully materialized and they tell anybody else, it's gone. Does anybody know someone like that? Does anyone meet that person in the mirror in the bathroom uh, occasionally? Yes, some of us are like that. We are more reluctant to receive good news than we are to receive instability. But God is saying here that he wants to establish us in shalom and equip us so that when good things are coming our way, we don't feel surprised in the sense like, wow, that never happens to me. But we feel assured that God who has been good in times past and will be good in the future is being good right now. Yivarechecha Adonai. It's speaking of Hashem, that great intimate name of God, yod heh vav that conveys personal relationship and intimacy. Now, I was reading Rabbi Herzl's Chomish, and he makes the comment that many rabbis have thought that this blessing, the Lord bless you, includes the Lord bless you with possession. So it's a desire for the material needs that we have. But then it's, it follows up with this, and may the Lord protect you. So he says, so that means may he protect you from being possessed by your possessions. So when, when you're asking God to give to you things and stuff, remember this, if you get too much, those things may rule over you. And it may be that our relationship with God completely hinges on stuff. You can understand it this way. How many people feel better when your bank account has a bigger balance in it? How many people just don't like that feeling? Like, oh man, I got money. Is there anybody here who wants to get rid of some money because it doesn't make you feel good? Because I know people who would be glad to receive that and to deliver you from your sorrows. (laughs) But because we feel better when we have more resources, 
we can also begin to feel more independent from God. And so we can get to a place where we have so much that we feel almost as if we're providing for ourselves and we fail to recognize how God has been working to provide for us. And we, we stop thanking him and we start congratulating ourselves. I'm such a good businessman. I'm such a clever negotiator. I'm such a good salesman. I'm such a this or a that. And that kind of self-sufficiency can lead to other kinds of sorrow. So it's useful when you're praying for things to not want too much. It's not that you just want to be poor. I mean, you know, I want, don't get me wrong, because there's nothing wrong with stuff. The only thing is you don't want to be ruled over by stuff. You don't want to be possessed by your possessions. Can a believer be possessed? Yes. Certainly by possessions, by wrong desires, by wrong motives and wrong actions. And I encourage you, keep your heart in balance. Uh, if, if God provides for you abundantly, be thankful continually. Don't forget that it is God who has given you the ability to gain wealth. Now this idea of the face of God shining is what I want to focus on. Uh, now, and it may surprise you that God's face shining on us is a theme that is spoken about in many, many places in Scripture. We hear the Yivarechecha so often that we tend to diminish it and narrow it down. And yet, the Scriptures in many places, in many different ways, give us a broad understanding of the importance of the face of God shining. For instance, in Daniel, in chapter 9, verse 17, I'll read to you in the English. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. And so that is an appeal by Daniel, that God would actually shine his face on the temple, which was in a condition of ruin. So it's not only people that need uh, the blessings of God, but there are, there are places in well as well. Psalm 119, verse 135 includes this appeal. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. And so here we see that the face of God shining upon us is connected to our learning his ways, his, his ordinances, his regulations, his laws. When God is shining upon you, it doesn't mean that you become free to do anything that you want. It means that your heart wants to do what's pleasing to the Lord. And so you're open to his instruction. In Psalm 31, verse 16, it says this, it's a prayer, Lord, make your face shine upon your servant, save me in your loving kindness. And so here the, the, the psalmist is saying, I need your salvation and I need your mercy and your loving kindness, save me. So the face of God is connected not just with learning, but it's also connected with salvation. Many believers in Yeshua, though, have a very narrow view of salvation. Think of it as something like an afterlife insurance policy. It comes into effect when you die. And that is not a correct understanding. The salvation of God is at work now. 
the salvation of God is at work in many different ways. God can save you from disease by healing you. God can save you from undue afflictions, from uh, certain troubles. He can save you from the enemy. There are many good things that God can do that are all wrapped up in what he calls salvation. And so I want you to understand that salvation is not just something that is connected to a prayer you, you said sometime in the past, and it's going to be revealed sometime in the future when you're dead. The salvation of God is, is unfolding in this life, in this era, as well as in the age to come. Now, I like the way Psalm 80 uses the the shining face of God as a theme for helping us understand something because it it connects God's face shining with salvation. It 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 helps us understand that the the face of God shining on us brings salvation, it causes salvation, it assures us of salvation. But it also, in a very interesting way, opens us up to understand how to build intimacy with God by the different ways that it addresses God. So in verse 3 of Psalm 80, God is addressed as Elohim, which we could translate into English perhaps as God Almighty, the, the powerful God, the one who creates. Oh God, Elohim, restore us, hashivenu. But it's, it's more like bring us back. Hashivenu Adonai, bring us back, Lord. Restore us and cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. You see there, the appeal is to Elohim, to God Almighty. But then in verse 7, the, the address to God changes and it's now Elohim Tzavaot. It's now God Almighty who is the commander of battalions, the one who who can muster spiritual armies, even of angels when necessary, on our behalf. So it's not just God in his power, but it's also God in his commanding authority that stretches out to touch spiritual beings and others on our behalf. Elohim Tzavaot Hashivenu. O God of hosts, Bring us back and cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. The appeal is the same, but the address to God is different. And then in verse 19, it takes another step forward and it begins with Hashem, yod vav Hashem, Elohim Tzavaot, Hashivenu. And now it is addressing God using that most intimate of names for God, that, that covenantal name that God has has given. And it's helping us understand that we don't just look to God for help, but we we connect to him in relationship and with intimacy. And many times people think of God as the source of answers for their problems. And so that means you need God more when your problems are more. When your problems are bigger. I had a terrible experience in this direction. I'll tell you about it. In, in um, the 1980s, I was going through a difficult period. But at the same time, I was really drawing close to God. And I was getting up early in the morning. 
And spending time in prayer and worship and study, sometimes for hours before I began my work day. And I was really seeking the Lord in that time of trouble. And yet, I had, some, I had a business, I had some business problems, and uh, I just felt life was a struggle. Some of you are in such a condition right now. You can understand what I'm talking about. But one day, I was trying to encourage myself, and I was playing a song that, that said these words, My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. And I was singing along with that song, and I have to tell you that the Holy Spirit responded to me with unbelief. He didn't believe that I really believed that. So here I'm singing, my help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. And I have to tell you, the Holy Spirit spoke to my spirit and said, you don't believe your help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. And, you know, given who I am, I tried to argue with them. Well, sure, I believe it. It says it. It's true. Have you ever argued like that? And he said, yeah, but you don't believe it. I said, well, if I didn't believe it, why am I saying it? And he said, I don't know. I don't know why you're saying this because you don't believe this. And I, the words that he said are less memorable than the impact of the conversation. And there are some times when I feel like his words are perfectly clear and he said things in such a way I will never forget them. And so that I could even say the word of the Lord came to me saying thus and so. But this was not one of those times. It was much more of a conversation and a transaction. And I was on the short end of the stick in this case. And here I'm in trouble, but I'm seeking the Lord and I'm trying to worship. And he's telling me my worship is worthless. Because what I'm saying isn't something I deeply hold to be true. Now, I'm still not convinced. And so I said, well, what is it I believe then? And he said, I'll tell you what you believe. You believe I can save you from your adversary, from Hasatan. I said, I do. He said, and you believe I can save you from your enemies when people rise up against you. I said, I know that. And he said, but you don't believe I can save you from yourself. <laughs> oh, my. And he touched a very special place in my life. Because I didn't believe that he could save me from the problems I caused. Don't hear me wrong, but it's almost as if I believed in Jewish karma. Do you know what I mean by that? As you sow, so shall you reap. In other words, that it's impossible to undo that cause and effect cycle. And my problems that I was experiencing were primarily the result of me, primarily the result of my decisions, my lack of wisdom, my actions and inactions. They weren't because I had an enemy. And, and I wish they were spiritually caused by the adversary, but they weren't. They were my problems. And I felt because they were my problems that I had caused them, I had to solve them. And that God would be nice to me if I tried to solve him and was successful. But I didn't at that point know he could save me from me, from the problems I caused. 
And so there I am, you know, I'm saying my help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. He says, no, it doesn't. Your help comes from you. It was a humbling experience that, that changed many things about how I think, how I feel, and how I live. And in the process, it led to an extended conversation over a period of weeks and months where I began to learn things from the Lord that I had not previously understood. I found out something about myself that in times of trouble, I drew closer to God. That may be true for you too. What I didn't realize is that because of that, the Lord was was allowing me to live a troubled life so that I would stay close with him. Because during the good times, I didn't seek him very much. But during the hard times, I was there. Now the problem is, I was there primarily asking to get out of trouble. And that, I can tell you, becomes tedious. And I think I actually irritated God. You know, like, is it you again? What do you want this time? Now, it's not that he tires of our petitions. He tires of us having our fingers in our ears and not listening to him and not taking to heart what he has to say. So during this time, I I like it when the thunder and the... The thunder comes, I, you know, like thunder to the truth. Yeah. I somehow began to learn a lesson. I haven't fully walked out this lesson, but I have changed my life to reflect what I've learned in many, many ways. I've learned that if I can seek God when things are good... I can live a different kind of life. If my intimacy with God is strong during times of blessing, during times of shalom, during times of peace, then it is not necessary for the sake of relationship that I live live a troubled life. Many people know what it's like in times of trouble to seek God and to find him. But I can tell you this, if that's the only time when you find him in times of trouble, then he will bless you with trouble so that you will find him and you'll have such a life. And once I got that into my mind, into my heart and began to reorient myself, it began to change things. I had to learn things. I still cause trouble for myself. But when I did, I learned in some ways that God could get me out of that trouble, but it was going to really cost me. I was going to really have to be different. And so I see that God wants to shine his face upon us. He wants to show intimacy to us. But like the psalmist, we may start with God Almighty and then move you know, to another position. We realize we need more power than God Almighty. Elohim Tzavaot, you, know, you who can command armies, send help. But that is not the place to stay. Hashem, Adonai, wants you to be close, to have intimacy with him, and to understand trouble is not the most important thing. Drawing close to him is more important than that. And he will save you from trouble. He won't cause you never to experience trouble, but he will save you from it. I want to now close with an interesting comparison 
I guess I will have to close. You know, I can't like <laughs> mislead you and after my closing. And now I only have six points for my closing. <laughs> now I want to close by, I, I, I want us to look for a moment at how Moses' face would shine. In Exodus 34, if you have your Bibles with you, you can follow along with me in the text or you can just listen. But starting in verse nine, 29, rather, it, it says this, it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. Because Moses had been speaking with God, his own, the skin of his face was shining. He was glowing. He was radiating. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face was shining. And they were afraid to come near him. <laughs> you know, is Moses radioactive? We don't know. What is going on with Moses? Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers and the congregation returned to him. The, the implication is not only were they afraid, they actually increased their distance. Moses spoke to them then. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil covering his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord at the sanctuary to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and he spoke to the sons of Israel what he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses was shining. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. So Moses was shining because the light of the Lord had been so brightly shining on him. He was like one of those phosphorescent, luminescent objects. Uh, my grandson Jacob has little stars on his ceiling. And when you turn on the lights, um, those little objects just look, you know, like they're up there. But when you turn off the lights and there's no light in the room, those little stars are glowing because somehow they've absorbed light and then they release it in the dark. And in a sense, Moses was like that. He had received light from God. God, who is just pure light, was shining light on him. And Moses was glowing in the dark. He was shining. And whenever he was in the presence of God, he received light from the Lord. Now, I want to compare this to another incident sometime later. It's mentioned in Matthew 17. And it says that Yeshua took with him Peter and James and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves, just the four of them. And then Yeshua was transformed before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. So the transformation was that, that the revelation of who he was was becoming more visible to those who were with him, and they were realizing that Adonai had cloaked himself in, in a human body, and yet like the angel of the Lord who Manoah and his wife saw, who they thought was the man of God, and at the end said, we've seen the face of God, that they were beholding the face of God shining. And who shows up? It says, behold, or, or wow, Moses and Elijah appear to them talking with Yeshua. So now you've got Moses and Elijah, two of Yeshua's best friends. 
They're having fellowship together. And who is the shining one? It's Yeshua. Because it brings us understanding where did Moses get his light from? It was from God. And yet Yeshua is revealing something of Adonai this way that is different. Because he's shining as the radiance of God, the fullness of God in human form. Shining for men. It shows us this important connection with the face, the bright, shining face of God. Let me close by asking you this question. Where do you get your blessings? The best source of blessings is from being with God, from spending time with Him. The more time in intimacy you spend with God, the more you will shine, whether it's visible to others or not, whether it's radiant in the physical sense, the more you're with God, the more light you will receive from Him and the more light you can shine on others. The more light you have, the less darkness is going to be around you. The more light you have, the more you're going to be able to help others who are in trouble. So the best source of blessing is not from material wealth, it's not from all the stuff that life has to offer. The best source of blessing is from God himself. And this is why Aaron was told, put my name on the children of Israel. Bless them. And it's why we say, as we do, Yivarechecha Adonai. May God cause blessings for you. Let's pray this great Blessing. Stand up, if you will. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmerecha Ye'era Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha Yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasemlecha Shalom. The Lord cause His blessings upon you. The Lord protect you. Guard you. Watch over you and keep you. The Lord caused the light of his face to shine upon you for the sake of salvation, for the sake of restoration, for the sake of you receiving light from him, for the sake of you being able to shine your light for others and for their good. May the Lord favor you and be gracious to you and give you more than you deserve. May the Lord lift up his face to you and recognize you and receive you and delight in you. And may the Lord establish you in his peace. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.